Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to the very last Sunday of this oh-so-very-interesting year of 2020. I believe that although this is the last Sunday of this year, that still God is up to something and the best days are yet to come, so I cannot wait to continue this journey with you. But as we come to this last moment together as a church in this year, I think it is so apropos that we step back into the pages of Scripture to a moment of change for the Israelite people. And so if you have your Bible, please join me in the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 6. And we're going to dive into verses 1 through 5. These are the words of the Lord. It says this, Now Jericho, we'll talk about that in a moment. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. I want to title this last message of 2020 this statement. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that as we enter into this last moment, these last few days of this year, the promise is that you are not done yet. Please give us clarity to see what you may be up to. May we embrace your vision for us. Holy Spirit, give me words to say so that the church body may hear from you and not from me today. We thank you for your presence in this place, around the city and around the country and even around the world. We love you. It's in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember it's been almost 21 years ago that I witnessed firsthand a miracle take place. I I can remember it as though it was yesterday. I was sitting on the couch in my friend's condo, and I was gorging on all the gourmet food you can enjoy, such as nachos, pizza, soda, all of that. And I was doing it for two very simple reasons. Number one, I had a killer metabolism 21 years ago, and I can do that. But the bigger and more important reason was I was gathered with some friends, and maybe you were also gathered with friends witnessing the same thing. We were watching the newly formed Tennessee Titans football team going head-to-head against the Buffalo Bills in the AFC playoff. And this was the game that if they won, it would give them one step closer. They would be on the march to Super Bowl thirty. And I remember it was just this incredible game. The Titans had been leading almost the entire game. The first half, they had been winning, most of the second half. But then there came that moment where the Bills did the unthinkable. They kicked a 41-yard field goal with just a handful of moments left in the game. And they were then up against the Titans by one point. There were only 16 seconds left on the clock. And I just remember sitting there with all of my friends. We see this field goal go, and we just went, oh. 
It was a gut punch. You felt the air sucked out of the room. I remember a buddy of mine, he got so mad, he threw his plate of nachos down. Cheese goes everywhere. Another friend hops up, grabs his jacket. He's about to leave because at this point, the game is all but over. And at that very moment, we all witnessed this moment right here. Do the Titans have a miracle left in them in what has been a magical season to this point? If they do, they need it now. Christie kicks it high and short. Going to be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Yeah, Pitches it, to... it back to Wycheck. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's 40, got something. 50, He's got it. 40, He's got 20, it. 20, 10, He's got it. End zone. Touchdown, Titans. There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle. Tennessee has pulled a miracle. It was amazing. The room erupted. Nacho cheese went everywhere. There was hugging. There was celebrating. It was one of those unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime moments. And from that event, now 21 years later, we still call it the Music City Miracle. Why? Because it was perceived to be impossible. It was unheard of that in that last moment, in just a handful of seconds, Everything could turn around, but it was this beautiful moment, a great reminder that until the game is over, it's not over yet, that there's still something to be done, that things are still going. And as we're coming into these last few moments of 2020, I have to wonder, and I've wondered this so many times, what would have happened if those players on that team had quit before the game was over? Think with me. What would have happened if in those last 16 seconds they said, hey, The season is over. Maybe next season things will be better. Maybe next year things will be better. And I can't help but wonder if there are some of us right here, right now, at the final few days of 2020, if we aren't having the same thoughts. I think for some of us, we have had such a tough year and it's been such a disruptive year that we enter this moment with the temptation that, you know, the game is almost over. Maybe next season. Maybe next year things will be different. Maybe God will step in in a unique way. Maybe I'll be reunited with that friend. Maybe this issue will be reconciled. But, but here's what I want to ask, and here's all I want us to do for the next few minutes is simply this. I want to posit a question, the potential of this. Is it possible that God wants to do something in the final moments of your 2020? Is it possible that God's just not done yet? with your 2020. I keep thinking about what he may be up to because after all, if a group of guys with shoulder pads could do what those guys did in 16 seconds, what could God do in your life in one final week? One week. Have you ever thought about the power of what can happen in one week, the difference that one week can Make. I think about this moment that we come to in Joshua chapter 6, and I love this scene. Joshua, if we roll back a few verses to chapter 5 and verse 13, we're told that Joshua steps away from the camp of Israel. And there they are encamped on the edge of the promised land, this land that they have been looking forward to for not a few days or decades, but centuries. The promise of God in front of him, but he sees their first major hurdle. It's the city, Jericho. And it was this fortified mammoth of a city. And he goes out as the general of the leader and and as the leader of the nation of Israel to see what needs to be done. And he steps into this moment. He looks 
And we're told that the angel of the armies of God, by the way, friends, we don't have time to get into it, but this is actually Jesus Christ himself entering into the Old Testament. You say, how's that possible? Notice Joshua falls down to worship and this commander does not tell him to stop. Everywhere else in scripture, the angels, when someone bows to worship them, they say, stop that. I'm just like you. But this commander does not do that because this commander is not merely a created being, but it is the word made flesh. It is Jesus in the Old Testament. So he shows up to Joshua. And in this moment, he says to Joshua, I want to give you a picture of what I can do in just one week. In fact, he's going to lay out for Joshua his divine seven-day strategy. And I was thinking, what would it look like if God showed up to your house right now and said, I want to give you a seven-day strategy because I'm just not done yet with 2020. I believe there's more that can be accomplished even in the final moments of this year. And so he says to Joshua, I'm going to give you a seven-day strategy. But before we understand the seven-day strategy, I think we need to wrestle with and embrace and understand that they had a serious struggle as well. I mentioned the city Jericho a moment ago, but let's dig a little bit deeper, shall we? Jericho was the first major city. In fact, according to some archaeologists, it was the greatest city to be overcome as they entered into the promised land. And Jericho was one of these weird places that was difficult for a number of reasons. Let me give you just three. Number one, it is, according to many archaeologists, one of the oldest cities in human history. In fact, its origin dates back hundreds, if not thousands of years before the moment that the Israelites come up on their doorstep. It was an established, ancient city, had been there forever And you say, well, how could it have lasted forever? Well, here's how. It was built up on sort of a tell, a rise. And then the walls were these massive six-foot thick walls going up as far as 40 feet, we believe. This was not simply an old city. It was an impenetrable city. It was a massive, strong city. And you say, well, why didn't they just go around the city? If it was so big, if it was so bad, why not just get around it? Because for them to take the land that God had promised them would mean that eventually they would have to come back and address the city. So it was an ancient city. It was a strong city. And they could not ignore it forever. It had to be dealt with. Now let me just pause there for a moment. Because the reality is you and I are not in Joshua's shoes looking at a city called Jericho. But I do believe many of us this morning are facing a Jericho. Maybe your Jericho is not a walled city, but it is the bitterness and the hurt that you're holding on to. It was handed to you by your ex-spouse who walked out and left you. Or maybe it's because of the words that your parents spoke over you or the hand that was laid across your face as a child. And so you carry with you this Jericho in front of you and you wish you could get beyond it. You wish you could come to a place of peace into this promised land of shalom, of God with you where everything is back together, but you're carrying with you this hurt and this bitterness. And so you have a Jericho in front of you. I think for some others in this moment, your Jericho may not be abuse, but it may be addiction. Maybe there's this thing that is a secret sin, a besetting sin. And maybe it is something that you watch or something you think about, or maybe it's the fact that you're addicted to the approval of others. What other people think matters so much to you that you crumple if you do not uh, get invited to the party or if you find out that someone has spoken a bad word about you. And so your Jericho is the addiction to what other people say, or maybe it's the addiction to this thing that has just grabbed hold of you. And it's not something that you can get around. It keeps coming back at you. 
And like this ancient city of Jericho, it's this thing that has held on to you for decades and you just wish that you could get beyond Jericho. Or maybe it's not addiction or maybe it's not hurt, but maybe it's just despair. I mean, this has been for a lot of us a hard year. I was talking to a friend earlier today who told me about a young pastor in Texas, 37 years old, who got COVID and he died. And then his wife a month later died and they left a seven-year-old child. And there's a great level of grief and despair because of what has happened around the country and around the world this year. But maybe it's not even that. Maybe you're just aching over the loss of a loved one, not from COVID, but to cancer or to old age. And you see this Jericho and it's not something that can be in down by your strength. It just seems invincible. What is your Jericho this morning? And is it possible that the same God who orchestrated the falling of walls is the same God who through his powerful spirit wants to enable you in these last few days to go through that which stands in front of you? And so he comes to Joshua and I love what he says here. He says something that on first glance, it makes absolutely no sense. But in verse 2, did you notice God's word to Joshua? He says, see, I have given Jericho into or over to your hands. Now, this is a weird statement for two reasons. The first one is this. Notice he says, I have given, have given. This is a past tense statement. Now, I'm not a grammatical genius, In fact, my wife will tell you that I struggle with basic uh, sentence structure. That's just not my gift. But if I understand correctly, past tense refers to things that have already happened in the past. Yet God, speaking to Joshua, says to Joshua, he says, I have given you this city, meaning before Joshua has experienced the victory, hear me now, God has already given him the victory. This is so important, friends. Scripture is very clear about this, that God does not stand within time, meaning he's not limited to the moment that you and I see before us. Rather, he is outside of time, almost as though he's holding it like a string or as a piece of wood, and he stands out of it, and he sees your past, your present, and your future, and he sees all of it, and he says, I have already seen how I will overcome that which you cannot overcome yourself. I have given you this. this is what the prophet Isaiah talks about in chapter 4, verse 10, 46, verse 10, where he says, I make known the ends from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. God says, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I pleased. This is why Paul can say with confidence in Romans that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. How can he say that? It's because he sees the end from the beginning. So God says to Joshua, you need to have a clear vision. And your vision is going to be limited by your experiences and by your moment in history. So you need to rely on the vision of God for your vision. That's the other thing he says here. Notice he says, see, I have given. See. Joshua could not see what God has given because all Joshua could see was that which was in front of him. And I understand that right now you may be facing a Jericho and you cannot see what life looks like on the other side. So in this moment, we get to see through the eyes of faith where we say, I don't see it personally, but I know the person who sees it and I trust him. God says, I can give you victory in this. 
So I will see what God says. This is why it is so important to understand what God has said. Do you know the promises of Scripture? Have you listened to what God has said He will do for you? Are you familiar with the voice of God? So in the moments of despair, in the moments of hurt, in the moments where you feel like you cannot overcome what is in your own life, you are able to rely on what God has seen and what God has said. This is how we raise our gaze and have a vision to overcome what is before us. Can you imagine what God might do just in the next few days of your life if we got the vision that he gave to Joshua? I have a good friend, uh, won't share any names, but I was in a conversation with him just a few days ago and, and, and he's had a really hard time over the past year. Financially, things have been a little bit up in the air, his job and everything else, but he just got some great news just a couple weeks ago. And he said to me, he said, Josh, I wish I had known then what I know now, and I wouldn't have wasted all this time worrying. See, here's the reality. He was simply articulating in that moment that he wished he could have seen what God has already said, that I will never leave you or forsake you, that I will take care of you, that no weapon that is formed against you will stand because God is with you. First John 4, 4 says that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. These are the promises of God. Do you see what God has said? This is how we get a vision for moving through and getting past Jericho. And then the final thing, I love this. The Lord then says, now let me give you the strategy. Are, are you ready for the strategy? And friends, this is the same strategy for your life and for my life. And no matter what the Jericho is, this is the exact same strategy. Are you ready? He says, for the next seven days, I want you to walk. (laughs) I want you to walk around Jericho. So day one, go around, no speaking, just walk, just walk. Day two, one more time, just walk. Day three, just walk. Four, five, six. And then on the seventh day, I want you to walk not once or twice or three times, but I want you to go seven days times around the city. You say, how is that a strategy for success? Well, there's one key component. They are not walking alone. In fact, he says this. He says, I want you to take the priests and have them with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a physical box, but it was the physical representation of God's presence with his people, meaning it was a physical reminder that they do not walk alone. But he says, I don't simply want the ark to be around you or among you. I want my presence and my priests to be in front of you. In other words, God is saying, you want to know the strategy for victory? It is let me lead. God is saying, you have no idea what I can do in just a few days of your life if you will completely let me lead you. Don't just put me as part of your life. But you let me lead and you walk in the direction and in the way that I call you. Now, here's the thing for Josh Diggs. I don't know about you, but I am so good at hearing what God says and then trying to improve upon what he has told me to do. Because I'll look at what he says. I'm like, that's a great idea. But I tell you what, in the real world, this works a lot better. Jesus, that's a great idea. Good suggestion. But in the normal Areas of life, this is what really, really works. But then, as Dr. Phil has often said, how's that working for you? And so, let let me just ask you, friend. See, part of the challenge for Josh, and maybe for you, is the reason we have not experienced the freedom and the victory that God is inviting us into is not because God is incapable of leading us through and defeating the Jericho of life. 
It's simply because we have been unwilling to let God lead us and been unwilling to follow him. And so, so let's, let's just give a couple examples here. So we say we want to defeat this enemy, this Jericho of bitterness and hurt that we've been carrying with us at, from childhood, perhaps, or because of a spouse or a boss or someone that we admired who harmed us deeply. And we say, I want to get over it. And so God says, okay, follow me. Here is the strategy. Forgive as you have been forgiven. And we want to say, no, 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 that doesn't work. That's not how it works. He's got to apologize. She's got to say she's sorry. And then the hurt will go. He goes, that's not how it works. Listen to me. If you want a supernatural solution to your problem, you cannot rely on a natural course of action. He says, will you follow me? Some of you say, well, I want to be free from this addiction. I want to be free from this all-consuming sin that I cannot seem to break free. And so the Lord says, okay, my strategy, according to James chapter 5, is confess your sins to other people who love me deeply. Pray for one another. Be honest and open about what's going on. And he promises, and you will be healed. You will be freed. Walls will fall. But we say, no, 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 I can't do that. But Because if people knew, then they wouldn't see me the same way. I would be alone. I would lose what I have. Things would not work. And so we continue to look for natural solutions to a supernatural problem. Or for instance, some of us today, you're overcome by fear of the future. And so God says, okay, you want to break free of that. You want victory. I can give you victory. Here's the strategy. Remember that all things, all things are under the power of God and that you in weakness can do all things, that God has given you strength, that he will empower you in the moment, that if you trust him, he will give you what you need. You say, no, 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 unless I see it, I can't believe it. You see, we want to fix God's strategy because we think ours works, but friends, how's that worked for us? Is, is it possible, is it possible that God wants to do something incredible in your life? And we don't need to wait till 2021. We don't need to wait another year. But God may want to begin the process of taking back land in your life. And it may begin simply by letting him take the lead and for you to follow him. I think there's one other interesting thing about this whole little picture of God leading. Is notice the numbering here that there will be seven priests. They'll do this walk for seven days. And on the seventh day, they will go around seven times. That number seven is symbolic of perfection, of God's purpose in action, of completion. Hear me now. God knows what he's doing. And when we walk with him, we experience the completion and the fullness of what he is inviting us into. So where are you this week? What is it that you need freedom from? What is the Jericho in your life? The invitation of God today is follow my lead because he's not done yet and he can do great things. Think with me one final moment here. What was it like, do you think, that moment? After all the years of wandering in the wilderness of slavery in Egypt and and finally they step into the promised land, they follow God's lead and now seven days later after this conversation with the Lord himself, Joshua stands in the rubble of Jericho. The shouts and the screams of all the warriors just piercing their ears and he's saying, yay God, can you imagine what he must have done? I, I, wonder, I wonder if he paused and if he looked back to the point where he had been standing just a week earlier 
And in that moment, he knew God's not done yet.